Well, good morning. Uh, probably uh, figured out why uh, we sang Joshua fought or fit the battle of Jericho this morning. Uh, it wasn't just so that we could rock out a good worship song, although that was part of it. Uh, it's because we're finally in Joshua chapter 6, where we uh, see the fall of Jericho. And uh, during my studies, um, I found that you know instead of uh, reveling in the victory, uh, so to speak, I was... Um, I was more humbled uh, by uh, God's judgment uh, on the city of, of uh, Jericho and the, uh, the people in, in Jericho. But also, uh, even in the midst of that judgment, there's, uh, we can see God's great mercy, uh, which we'll talk about this morning. Uh, it's, it's a well-known Bible passage, uh, Joshua 6. It's partly because of the uh, rather unconventional method uh, used in capturing the city as... Uh, Eric mentioned before, it's a favorite in, in Sunday schools, that story. Uh, but the chapter has also become uh, rather controversial in, in that some of the critics uh, use the conquest of Canaan and the destruction of Jericho to make God you know, look like this uh, vengeful, uh, bloodthirsty murderer. Uh, trust me, it's out there. Uh, other critics uh, claim that the Bible contradicts itself. You know, when on the one hand... Uh, Jesus tells us to love and serve our neighbor, uh, yet on the other hand, uh, God orders the destruction of a whole a group of people. So there's a lot of stuff in here. We'll, we'll address uh, some of those things. Uh, before that, uh, let's pray. Lord, we ask that you uh, teach us this morning about your great mercy and your great grace. Lord, remind us that you are also holy and you are also the righteous God who judges sin, Lord. But remind us also that you have given us a way to reconcile to you, Lord, through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Lord, we thank you for that. And we claim that this morning. Amen. So Joshua chapter 6. I'll, ju I'll be um, just in the first uh, 21 verses. We'll cover Rahab next week. Now, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. You shall do this for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast of the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout, with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, 
the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to camp, and so they did for six days. On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom she sent. But you... People, keep yourselves from the things devoted from destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing of, for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown, as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. Praise God for his word. So a few weeks ago, at the end of chapter 5, Joshua had an encounter with the commander of the army of the Lord, uh, whom most commentators uh, suggest was the incarnate Christ, uh, or an appearance of Jesus before he uh, became man. So many of those same commentators suggest that the instructions uh, given to Joshua by the Lord in today's passage are a continuation of that encounter with Jesus. You know, the text doesn't explicitly say this, but it seems to, uh, the flow of the text seems to suggest it. But either way, the Lord uh, is speaking in both cases, interrupted only by the comment in verse 1. The, the, the verse 1 comment is reminding the readers of, of some important details about the city of Jericho. First of all, it was a walled, fortified city. It says Jericho was shut up inside and outside. No one went out and no one came in. Secondly, the inhabitants were expecting to be attacked. Because, it says because uh, they were shut up because of the people of Israel. 
And third, and this is very important, uh, the inhabitants of Jericho obviously remained stubbornly unrepentant. You know, in a very real way, uh, the people of Jericho had deliberately and consciously shut themselves off from God. And, uh, of course, this is in uh, contrast to Rahab's response. So it's important to, to keep that in mind as, as we move along. And it's also important to keep in mind uh, as we look at verse 2, is that the, the, the conquest of a walled city uh, would be a major challenge for the Israelites. Uh, they hadn't encountered walled cities before. Uh, they they uh, weren't equipped militarily for this kind of thing. And, and uh, as we recall, the high walls had discouraged the Israelite spies you know, 40 years earlier. So in verse 2, even before God gives instructions on what to do about Jericho, so you can, you can probably imagine you know, Joshua is thinking, all right, you know, God, um, you know, maybe God's going to uh, teach us how to make catapults, or, or maybe God's going to uh, provide for us siege towers, or, or help them dig tunnels. You know, that, that Joshua's a military guy. He, you know, we don't know. He might have been thinking of that. But, but before God's command, God says these words. He says, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. Now, some translations say, see, I will be giving you. But that's not what it actually says. The, the tense of the verb, it's, it's called the past perfect. It's, it's that the battle had already been won. God is telling Joshua that even though nothing has happened yet, it's a done deal. It's as if it has already happened. I have given, God is saying, Jericho into your hand. Into your hand. And in saying that, God's also reminding Joshua whose battle it is. He's saying, I, the Lord, have given the city into your hand. This is my battle. This is my victory. So when God gives the unusual instructions to march around the city once each day for six days, and then seven times on the seventh day, and then blow the horns and shout, and then the walls will fall down, as a side note, the Crusaders in the first crusade in, in year 1099, they actually tried this on Jerusalem. And guess what? It didn't work. But there's no mistaking the cause or the source of the victory. It was all God. The only thing left for Joshua and the Israelites was to trust and obey. Yes, e even when God tells them to march around the city for a whole week, if you do your math, it's 13 times total. You know, instead of attacking it, it's trust and obey. Even when God tells them to wipe out all the inhabitants of Jericho, it's trust and obey. Even when God tells them to destroy the city, it's trust and obey. And even, even when the people are told to confiscate for God, not for themselves, all of Jericho's gold, silver, bronze, and iron, it's there to trust and obey. And if you, you notice, out of the entire chapter of 27 verses, only one and a half verses even mention the actual fall of the city. 
The second half of verse 20 matter-of-factly says it. And the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city, and then they devoted the city to destruction. That's it. One and a half verses. So which tells us that the fall of Jericho is not really the main theme of the passage. The main theme of the passage is, is obeying God. I mean, did you notice how many times the Ark of the Lord was mentioned in this passage? It's mentioned ten times. And, and the priests are, are mentioned just as many times. They're the ones who carry the Ark. So the, the Ark of the Lord, symbolizing God's presence, was exactly in the middle of the procession. Uh, the Ark was the main focal point of the procession, and, and the priests... Uh, carrying the ark, it was all about God. And it was actually a very worshipful scene. You know, even though the trumpets are sounding, the people are silent. It's a solemn occasion, as I mentioned. They're about to receive, but give back to God, the first fruits of the conquest. And the people are going to be an instrument of God's judgment on the people of, of Jericho. It's very sobering. So the, the, the solemn nature of the procession is heightened by this final judgment uh, to come upon the people of Jericho. But there's also a warning given to the Israelites you know, by God through Joshua. Joshua tells that the, pe the people that Jericho and all that is within it shall be devoted to destruction. You know, only Rahab and her family will be spared. But then comes the warning. Joshua says to the people, but you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them to God, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and all that stuff, they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So this is, this is one of the issues that the critics don't get. You know, far from being a God who has a thirst for blood, you know, so much so that he singles out, you know, the Canaanites for destruction, God has the same demands for holiness, the same demands for obedience, the same demands for trust on his chosen people, the Israelites. You know, God will judge the Israelites just as he will judge the Canaanites, you know, if they disobey and rebel against him, you know, especially by adopting the ways of the Canaanites. You know, God is not anti-Canaanite. He's not anti-Jericho. He doesn't have a thing against the city of Jericho. He's anti-sin. That's why he's anti. You know, 400 years previously to the fall of Jericho, God had promised Abraham that his heirs would not yet be able to occupy the promised land because... The iniquity of the Amorites, which were a Canaanite people, is not yet complete. So God in His mercy and grace had given the Canaanite people 400 years to repent. And the inhabitants of Jericho had seven more days to turn from their wicked ways and look to the Lord as their Savior. And and there's no mistake about it. These people were wicked. They practiced every form of sexual deviation for their own pleasures. They habitually 
practice child sacrifice. It, it, that's not just in the Bible. This is, this is known through non-biblical uh, historical research. Yet God showed them mercy for hundreds of years. And, but God even accepted one of their own, Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute, into his covenantal kingdom because she repented and believed. And in the, in the same way, God is right now waiting patiently and calling all people to receive you know, his, his simple plan of salvation, of forgiveness and repentance through faith in Jesus Christ. As, as Peter tells us in Second uh, Peter uh, chapter 3, he says, Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And there's a but. But the day of the Lord, that's the judgment day, will come. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burnt up. It's another done deal by God. So just like the judgment of Jericho, the final judgment day will come. But still, the Lord, as the Scripture says, takes no pleasure in the death of anyone, but desires all people to come to repentance. I mean, listen to God's rhetorical question in, in Ezekiel 18. He says, Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, rather than that he should turn from his ways? And what? And live. That's God's desire. So the obvious answer to that question is no, God takes no pleasure, pleasure in the death of even the wicked, but desires instead that they would turn from their wicked ways and live. You know, live a life and live an eternity you know, with Him. But we have to remember that for all of us, you know, there will be a day uh, when it's too late to accept His salvation through Christ. And when we die, it's too late. And, and when that final day of the Lord's wrath comes, it'll be too late for anyone who's not in Christ. So the obvious um, you know, command here is, is just don't put it off. So if this morning uh, you haven't trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't put it off. Don't end up missing out on the mercy and grace and the forgiveness that God offers. To, again, to all. He offers this to all. And, and you will be restored to relationship and peace with your Creator God through repentance and faith in Christ. Don't put it off. Well, the, the day of the Lord, uh, in a sense, came for Jericho, uh, but the outcome would have been so much different you know, for the people of Jericho had they heeded God's warnings. If they heeded 
Rahab's example. The, uh, the atheist uh, scientist Richard Dawkins, you know, he has, he has a lot to say about the God, you know, in his, his writing, the small g God of the Old Testament, you know, criticizing and calling God a, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser. And that's the polite things that he said about God. But not, not to pick on him, but Dawkins and others you know, conveniently forget that God was willing to spare the city of Jericho. He was willing to spare the Canaanite city of Sodom, uh, Sodom for the sake of just ten righteous people. Read about that in Genesis 18. In the case of Nineveh, in the book of Jonah, God was slow to anger against that wicked city, yet quick to forgive. And the, the irony, I was thinking about this, the irony is that Dawkins himself has been spared so far. He's still alive. He still has an opportunity uh, to believe. You know, the, uh, so, so far, he, he's been spared the immediate judgment of God, you know, even though he's uh, spoken and written some incredibly insulting things about God. So as, as for the killing of uh, little children, you know, that, uh, that's a tough one. Uh, but we need to keep in mind a, a few things. You know, some, some scholars think that because uh, Jericho was a fortress, you know, that only the king and his soldiers were there, you know, the women and children left. But, you know, we don't know this for sure. Uh, the text doesn't say this. You know, besides, why would the Israelites be commanded you know, to devote to destruction both men and women, young and old, you know, if there weren't uh, any uh, women and children there in the first place. So we have to be careful with that. Uh, the children you know, might have been innocent and in that they you know, might not have uh, uh, deliberately uh, part partook of the sins of the culture, but Scripture tells us that all have fallen short of the glory of God, that no one is righteous, not one. You know, still, you know, I personally believe that children who die before the, you know, the so-called age of accountability, you know, that they go to heaven. You know, uh, 2 Samuel 12, uh, Isaiah 7, 16, Psalm 139, uh, verses 14 through 16, Matthew 18, there's, there's, there's you know, verses in there that uh, speak to this. You know, so this, this was an act of God's grace and mercy to their souls to take them uh, away from this unholy environment and into His holy presence. But ultimately, we, we have to concede that God is sovereign over all life and can order its end according to His will. There's also the uh, critique of ethnic cleansing carried out by the Israelites. But, you know, Scripture shows that Joshua and the people of Israel were acting according to the direct command of God. You know, not on their, not on their own. The, the destruction of Jericho was carried out by the army of Israel, but the army of Israel, as I said before, was an instrument of judgment you know, upon the sins of these people. By who? Well, the righteous judge of all the earth. You know, so anyone who would question uh, this, uh, 
the justification of this act is actually questioning God's justice. And it was necessary uh, to completely exterminate any trace of the city and its people. If anything had remained except what was taken into the treasure house of the Lord, there would always been a threat of the influence uh, to pull the people away from their worship of the Lord. And of course we know that that actually happened. Sometimes radical surgery is is required to completely eliminate a deadly cancer from the body. Next week we'll look at the rescue of Rahab the prostitute as as Joshua keeps his promise to save her and her family. It's completely sanctioned by God who received, as I said, Rahab into the family of faith. In her story, we'll see that God's judgment doesn't exclude grace. God's judgment does not exclude mercy. It was merciful for God to protect the Israelites from idolatry. In Deuteronomy 20.18, God gave Israel an explicit reason why it was necessary to wipe out the Canaanites. That they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods. So you sin against the Lord your God. And it was merciful for God to limit the scope of destruction only to those pagan nations in the promised land. He could have extended that destruction throughout the whole earth. But he limited it to the borders of the promised land. I mean, all mankind is equally guilty in God's eyes. We're, We're only alive due to God's grace. Every breath we take is a merciful gift from God. And again, it was merciful for God to allow the Canaanites to remain in the land as long as they did, 400 years. It was merciful for God to allow individual Canaanites to repent and join the people of God. You know, Rahab is the example we've mentioned. Uh, Later on, we'll talk about the uh, Gibeonites. Uh, Rahab uh, is is held up as an example of, of faithful obedience in the New Testament. And as we know, she's included in the genealogy of Jesus. And it was merciful for God to bring an end to his judgment on these uh, pagan uh, Gentile nations with the coming of Christ. Matthew uh, 15, uh, we read the story of Jesus healing the daughter of a Canaanite woman. Uh, you know, we, 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 we can agree that Matthew most likely wrote his gospel to a Jewish audience. You know, any Jewish reader would have recognized that this Canaanite dog as they referred to the Canaanites, you know, they didn't have a right to live. The fact is, you know, the the reason she even exists in the first place is because Israel failed to um, submit to God's command in destroying the Canaanites. That's why she's even there. Yet Jesus showed her grace. He even commended her for her faith. And this is uh, just a glimpse uh, of the full acceptance that we see of the Gentiles that we read about in Acts, you know, post-Pentecost. So the fall of Jericho 
is not about the Israelites uh, and you and me you know, overcoming fears and obstacles. I know it's often taught that way. But the story is all about God and how He is glorified when we obey Him. It's about God's holiness. And because of His holiness, those who are in rebellion against Him will be judged and found guilty. But it's also about God's mercy, even to the wicked, because God will receive even the wicked if they repent and believe. I'm an example. Jesus bore the same punishment that was due the inhabitants of Jericho. That was due the, the whole Canaanite people. And um, lest we forget, for you and me, he bore that, that punishment that was due. So thanks to Jesus' obedience, even unto death, our own sins are forgiven. And we can now stand in God's favor, by faith, alone in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Amen.